Live your own way in the powerful Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu new dealer today. Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Toolkit Depot studio for Morning Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. A beautiful autumn day in Perth today. Looking out of the window here at Optus Stadium, looking at the sun shining and the beautiful cool shade between here and the Canfield. It's a good time to be out and about in Perth. We've got a massive show for you today. Right off the top, we're going to talk to the AFL CEO elect, Andrew Dillon, of course, announced yesterday by the league to that position. He will succeed Gillan McLaughlin after a transition period in October. We'll also talk to Gavin Bell, the footy manager of the West Coast Eagles, get an injury update. That might take all of the 10 minutes of the interview, I think, uh, telling, finding out who's hurt and how badly. Paul Hazelby and Josh Kennedy will unwrap the weekend's games. Not a lot of good news there for the two WA teams. And uh, we want your questions for Andrew Dillon, if we can. So send them through on the Temper at Bedshed text line. That's 0487 736 736. Your chance to talk to the new AFL CEO, uh, get him to uh, put across his answers to your questions. So uh, get them in, people, and I'll try and read as many as I can of them out. But right now... Right off the top, we're joined by Andrew Dillon, the man announced yesterday by the AFL as the bloke who will succeed Gillan McLaughlin as the CEO later this year. Andrew, welcome to the show. Uh, morning, Mark, and thanks for having me on. Mate, congratulations on the job. It must have been, uh, given the speculation which went on for a long time that you were the man in the pole position, it must have been a bit of relief, I'd imagine, in the end to uh, um, hear your name was the one. Yeah, look, it was a it was a um, it was a big day when uh, yeah when I spoke to the, the chairman last week and, and he um, and he passed that information on. Um, I said it a few times yesterday, but it's a, there's an incredible responsibility that that comes with the role, um, and I'm humbled and honoured to have the position and, and really thankful to the commission um, for entrusting me with the, with the great privilege because you know we know how much footy means to people, um, and yeah, it's a really important role. So yeah, thank you. So Gill stays until October, and this is a transition period. So how does that work? Do you start to assume some of the roles, or do you keep doing what you're doing and paying more attention to what he's doing so you uh, are more aware of the responsibilities of it when you get your feet under the desk? Yeah, so, so Gill and I have worked together for 20-plus years, so we've got a, a, you know, a good understanding of how to work together. But in terms of my... Yeah, the previous role of the EGM of Football and General Counsel, we've appointed um, Laura Kane, who's a who's been our general manager of competitions. She's going to take on the role of EGM of Football for the rest of the season, while we look for a full-time replacement for that role, and we'll be going to market for that one this week. And Stephen Mead, who's been the GM of um, Legal, has been elevated to the role of General Counsel. Well, that and that allows me, Mark, to be able to yeah, work more closely with Gil, but also have a look at. Um, get around and talk to all the stakeholders like our clubs, um, get over to the West Australian Footy Commission and talk to Michael Roberts and Wayne Martin over there um, and get a, and just you know, outline my view for what I want to do 
in my time at the AFL, but also really listen to the clubs and our community about what they want as well, and I can you know put that into the vision so that when October comes around, I hit the ground running. We've got amazing momentum in the game at the moment with great crowds, um, record membership, lots of people watching on TV. So we want to keep that momentum going, and and Gil and I think that that's the best thing for the organisation to have this transition period over the, over the coming months. Gil's a very intelligent, charismatic character. Describe your style. What can we expect from you when you take the chair? Um, I'm probably a little bit more laid back uh, than Gil, um, but I, what I will be doing is um, I just have a real focus on on our clubs and our community, and I'm going to have the game at the forefront of the decisions that I make. Um, I'm passionate about footy, being involved in it my whole life from a as a player, umpire, coach, volunteer, but also it's been a major part of my professional career, having started off as a lawyer, you know, been at the AFL for 20 plus years. So I think you'll see a, you know, a balanced person who loves the game and I'll be doing the best I can for it. What do you see as the big issues you will face when you take the job, Andrew? We've got, there's, there's issues everywhere and we're dealing with some at the moment. Um, we've got a collective agreement, we've got the Hawthorne matter, we've um, had some you know, great news about Tasmania on the weekend and, and we're working through that with the Commission and the clubs at the moment about a, a great opportunity down there. But as I take, you know, go through and, and look at you know, where do I see the AFL going in five years and where do I want to focus what we're doing, I sort of see about three or four you know, key areas that we need to, where we need to focus. Um, Sydney's a really important market for us, and you know, since since COVID, we probably um, you know we, we've got to do a bit more in there. So there's real opportunities to invest in um, Sydney, Queensland. We're in a great position, and, and my view is that we can we can become the number one sport in Queensland, and we're going to invest in there so that that happens. Um, the AFLW, you know, seven seasons in, it's going really well, and it's, it's an amazing success story. But want the AFLW to be thriving and profitable, and be, you know be like the men's competition with heaps of competitive balance and, and you know, um, elite, elite first-choice athletes playing. Um, in the men's competition, really want to have a real focus on the game um, and in our footy operations department, um, make sure that we can keep the game as good as it is at the moment by making sure that we're across and ahead of the clubs in terms of game analytics and analysis. And then finally, um, community footy, uh, the commission last year said they'll put 10% of industry revenue into community, and what and, and the outcome of that will be increased investment in community, and we're going to have a bespoke plan for every region in Australia because we know all parts of Australia are different. You know, looking at suburbs in Melbourne, it's different in the western suburbs to the eastern suburbs. So we'll have different plans. There'll be a different plan for the suburbs in Perth versus up in the Kimberley, and we're going to be doing that. And that's uh, so they're really the key focuses for me, Mark. Given that we're going to have a 19th team in Tasmania, it will start speculation almost immediately as to whether there'll be a 20th team and where that will be. Our SEN colleague Paul Hazelby wrote a column in the Sunday Times on the weekend suggesting that the southwest of Western Australia could support a 20th team and that there is enough money in WA to support a third team here, which I, I, I tend to agree with as to whether that fits your needs, I don't know. But what's your view on a 20th licence in the AFL and what, are the, what is the likely location of such a licence? Yeah, I think at the moment, Mark, we've got a thriving 18 competition. We haven't even got to a 19th licence yet, although um, all the indications are is that it's looking positive. I'm not necessarily, I don't have an issue with an odd number of teams. We've had odd numbers of teams in the competition, but I think history will show, and if you look at your chart, um, 
the transition of the VFL to the AFL, um, we have grown, and but we've grown in a sustainable and um, responsible manner. So I'm, I don't, 20 license, 20th license isn't on the table. We've got to get to 19 first, but um, we'll continue to grow, and that's going to be a, you know, a mantra, and we have to continue to grow. We're going to grow in the northern markets. We won't continue to grow in Western Australia and all through the traditional heartland states as well. Lisa from Allenbrook has uh, sent in a question, Andrew. The grand final uh, start time at 2.30, as you mentioned last night on 3.60. Um, she also wants to know if you can please scrap umpires having, or player, players having to nominate themselves as a ruckman during around-the-ground stoppages. It's, it makes it feel a bit like school footy, I reckon, when they do that. What do you, what do you say about that? Um, well, the grand final start time, um, I was asked last night for personal preference. Um, I've been lucky enough to go to a number of grand finals. I, I was in Perth um, in, when we had the grand final over there in 21, and it was a twilight one. The year before, we had a night grand final in the Gabba. All the other ones have been during the day. They've all been amazing. Ultimately, it's a decision for the commission. Um, I'm a tradi- traditionalist when, on this one, but I also know that we have to be progressive. But that's, um, so ultimately, a decision for the commission on the grand final time. In relation to the right nominations, um, Part of my former role, also the game's really important. Um, the reason for that is it's, uh, it actually makes it easier for the umpires to umpire, and if we know who the rucks are, otherwise we'll end up with a whole lot of unintended consequences and free kicks. So um, I know it can be a bugbear, but it's an important part of the game and making sure that it's as easy as possible to officiate. Is concussion and the pending legal actions the biggest issue facing footy, do you think, Andrew? They are an issue, but uh, I'll probably start off by saying that health and safety of the players is an absolute priority in all, all of our participants at all levels of the game. Uh, we have been investing and being at the forefront of concussion science um, and medical advice in the whole time that I've been at the AFL and well before that. We've made multiple changes to the rules and our tribunal processes um, to look after the health and safety of the players, and we'll continue to do that um, I, along with Stephen Mead and our Chief Medical Officer, Michael McDesey, appeared before a Senate inquiry in relation to concussion in sport last week. It was a great opportunity for us to um, let the inquiry know about the work, the great work that the AFL's doing. Uh, the Commission have signed off. We've got four full-time staff working on concussion in addition to our Chief Medical Officer. The Commission signed off on a $25 million research project over the next 10 years. Um, on a longitudinal study in you know, a brain health initiative to make sure that we can continue to be at the forefront of concussions. Our work in the space never stops, um, and we know there's more we can do and will do, but clearly it's a wider, it's not just an AFL issue, it's an all a sport problem and a community problem, um, and we need to work with the other sports community and government to make sure that we can continue to make our sports as safe as possible. Question from Tristan from Claremont. Thursday night footy, do you like it? Will we see more of it? I think we'll definitely see more of it in the new broadcast agreement, but what we what we want to do is make sure that we're playing the games in the spots where the fans like it, and I think it's, it's a great TV slot, and I think if we can get the balance right between that and also making sure that we keep our attendance up, because it's really important for people to come and watch the games as well, but I think it's a, it's a really popular spot, and, uh, and it seems to work really well. Roy sent in a text. He congratulates you on your new position, as we all do. He, he wants hot spot on the goalpost, mate. He reckons that there's too much time being wasted on uh, on score reviews and uh, and it changes the atmosphere of the game. What do you say to that? Well, we do have um, 
You have the edge. Yep. Yeah, we've got the edge, um, and that seems to work. That works pretty well. But we are always looking at um, different ways to do the score review. Where we're looking at different things, we're, we're investing um, or investigating chips in the ball, which might be, you know we wouldn't even need to have the edge or, or a hot spot. So we're looking at ways that we can improve um, the officiating all the time. Um, pretty comfortable where it's at now. It's got a um, uh, a much better strike rate than where we were before we had it. One of Gillen's great legacies, I think, will be the AFLW. How long do you think it will be before we see a, an AFLW which is completely full-time? Look, I wouldn't want to put a, a timeline on it, but I think what we need to do with AFLW, and, and even if we're talking about expanding the men's competition, is just doing it in a um, sustainable manner. We've seen a number of competitions, even in Australia and worldwide, that might expand too quickly. Um, so what, I, what we want to do is make sure that um, we've got a product that the fans want to go to, the fans want to watch. It's a, it's a great on-field product that first-choice female athletes want to play. Um, and so that's the thing that I'm going to focus on, making sure that we're, uh, you know, we're as popular as ever and we've got the best athletes possible playing the game. I think that's the focus for us at the moment. Yeah, I agree completely with that. And the product's in a pretty good place, Andrew. When when you look at the way the game looks and the way that uh, I think Collingwood's leading the way in this, the way the game is played and the spectacle that produces, I think the game is in a good is in a good spot. So you, you guys deserve a, a lot of credit for that. Hey, um, are you ready for the magnitude of the task and the magnitude of the profile and the magnitude of the feedback you're likely to get for the job? Um. Yeah, look, I, I mean, you never know until you're in the hot seat, but I've, I've sat across from Gil for, for a number of years, so I have, um, I've probably got a better idea than anyone else, other than the man himself, what it's like. Um, but as I said at the start, it's, a, it's an absolute privilege and an honour to have a role like this. Um, and if those things are, if they're seen as sort of downsides to the role, I think the upsides of it and the ability to um, be in a position to influence um, a game and a sport that's so important to so many people. Um, I think the upsides far outweigh any perceived downsides, and um, I'm just really looking forward to um, you know to leading the game and making sure that we can get it can be as, as affordable and as accessible and as welcoming as possible to as, as many Australians as we can. Andrew, congratulations again. Uh, it's a good appointment. I think I think it, it, it looks like a really solid appointment, and I think that's the sort of person you look like you've been at the AFL for 20 years now. Congratulations. We look forward to hearing more from you when you take the chair later this year. Yeah, thanks very much, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. Andrew Dillon, the CEO-elect of the AFL. Of course, he will succeed Gillan McLaughlin officially at the end of this football season. What do you think of the appointment? If you want to have your say, you can. On the temperate bedshed text line, that is 0487 736 736. Or give us a call on the open line, that is 13 12 55. We'll take a break. We'll be back with West Coast footy manager Gavin Bell after the break. Live your own way in the powerful Isuzu... Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Great to have Andrew Dillon on the show off the top, of course. We're getting a lot of text coming through on the Temper at Bedshed text line. That is on 0487 736 736. If you want to make any observations about anything that Andrew had to say or you want to ask any questions that we may be able to follow up on for you. But right now we're joined by a man who has his hands full, as most of the people out at Mineral Resources Park do. Gavin Bell is the footy manager at the West Coast. They're trying to pick themselves back up after a 108-point loss to Carlton on the weekend. Gavin, welcome to the show. Good morning, Gus. 
So, mate, how is morale after a shellacking like that by the Blues? Uh, well, like most weekends in footy, you have 24 hours to feel how you, you want to feel, whether you're elated at a victory or disappointed at the loss, and, and then it's time to move on. Um, we've, we've done our review. Um, we're really clear on where we let ourselves down, and, um, yeah, it's time to start preparing for, for Richmond. It looked like a pretty across-the-board thing, Gavin, and like a, a few people have accused your lack of effort, but it looked to me like it was almost like a failure to cope across the board. What's, the, what's been the diagnosis of it from within the club with uh, a couple of days to look at it? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, Duff, uh, we were beaten convincingly in, in all of our areas by Carlton. Um, they got on top early and... Um, Outside of a, a small period in the second quarter, yeah, they, they had full control of the game. Um, over the last four or five weeks, uh, we've seen some small improvements in areas. We haven't won the games, which has been disappointing, but we have seen some growth in the areas that we wanted to um, and we've been focusing on since the pre-season in the contest and, and how we tr- transition between contests. But, um, yeah, we were beaten um, in those areas by Carlton on Saturday night. The question coming in on the temperate bedshed text line from Noddy, could or should the Eagles be asking for a priority draft pick this year and, and do they have a case? Is that something that the club is considering? Oh, we haven't had any discussions about that stuff at the moment. It's it's what's immediately in front of us, how we improve um, and how we pick our, our best team available to uh, to get ready for Richmond. Follow-up question to that from me. The mid-season draft is coming up, and clearly you are a, a club in rebuild. Um, would you look at freeing up a list spot? Because as I understand it, you don't have one at the moment. But would you look at freeing up a list spot to take one or two picks in that draft? Uh, again, it's uh, we, you're correct. We don't have a list spot at the moment. Um, and it all comes down to long-term injury and um, how those guys... I look to return, so um, it needs to be medically, um, it needs to be based on medical reasons um, that someone is placed on the long-term injury list and, and not likely to return. So we've got um, until towards the back end of May. I think the, I think the mid-season drafts around the 30th of May or 31st. May, May, May 31st, yeah, yep. Yeah, May 31st. So you know we've got a um, up until a few days before that if. If um, if one of our players is not progressing as we like medically, then we can certainly look at that. So let's talk about the injury list. Is it better or worse than it was this time last week? Uh, well, the return of Dom Sheed um, is is likely, so um, that would be that would be great for our team to get to get Dom back. Um, Obviously, uh, Rhett uh, wasn't able to complete the game. Rhett Bazley was able to complete the game after um, uh, his assessment from a head knock. So um, he wasn't available. And, and Samo um, Petrescu-Seaton was sort of subbed out of the game with a uh, really large cork. And he's also um, he's also received a one-match sanction for um, for, for rough conduct rough conduct with uh, a pill- uh, with a uh, with a tackle. So uh, he, uh, yeah, those two guys will be out. We look like having Dom back in. Um, Brady Hoff was a one to two weeker on your injury list last week, which I presume is a test to one week this week. Is there any chance that he would be fit to play against Richmond? 
Uh, he'll certainly we need to get through training, um, but uh, yeah, at this stage we're expecting it might be a chance to us. Uh, we'll just see how he's progressing. We've just got to make sure he's um, fully fit and capable to take on the, um, the Tigers. On your long-term injury um, prospects, prospects, prospects is the wrong word, sorry, the, of your long-term injuries, uh, I noticed that Matthew Pavlich on the, the Fox telecast on the weekend suggested that he'd run into um, Jeremy McGovern and Jeremy McGovern appeared to be tracking pretty well. Um, how is Gov going and, and what's the updated likely return date for him, do you think, or even if it's um, sort of broad picture sort of estimate? Yeah, we're, uh, Gov's making some really good progress. Uh, he obviously had surgery uh, on his hamstring, so uh, that takes a little while to progress through that. Um, you know, we're, we're expecting Gov in the next seven or eight weeks um, to be back playing, but he's making good progress. He's been really professional with his rehabilitation program, and um, yeah, it'll be wonderful to have uh, Gov back out there. Just coming out of the weekend, Shannon Hearn, incredibly brave, coming across the front of Charlie Kerner to take that big second quarter mark, did crash to the ground quite heavily and had to be assessed at half time. How's he pulled up given his age? And um, would he make the trip to play the Tigers, do you think? Uh, it, was a, it was a tremendous effort by Bung, um, a 300 game veteran, um, premiership. Uh, premiership captain, he's done it all and he continues to set a great example uh, for our players by putting his body on the line. Um, yeah, He was assessed and assessed again um, to make sure there was no other symptoms the, the following day. Uh, he's a little bit sore, as you could imagine, from that kind of hit, but we're expecting Bunt to play against Richmond. Okay, and when you say he was assessed, did they have to do a HIA on him, did they? Was there a concern that it was, um, I, I noticed in the aftermath it was reported more as whiplash, but was there a worry that there might have been a concussion as well? Yeah, they had to make sure that they covered it. That kind of a, a fall, they have the doctors go through everything that they need to go through, make sure our processes are really strong, reviewing vision and doing the different tests that they need to do. How many will you have in the waffle, if any, this weekend, Gavin? Uh, look, our numbers will be low. Um, it's definitely a challenging time for our uh, waffle team. Um, exact numbers, I'm, I'm not 100% sure at this stage, but it'll be low. Duff um, continues to be a challenge for for Rob Wiley and Steve Chuella and the guys involved with our, our waffle program. Um, their, their team is, is hugely affected by our AFL availability and over the next couple of weeks, it's going to be difficult to... Um, to we, we sort of got some young kids coming back, hopefully, in the next next week or two, uh, which will be exciting for, for our footy club. Um, but, yeah, it's still a couple of weeks away, Duff. So you, uh, Brady Hoff would be one of them, I would imagine, who would be close. Noah Long would be another. How, how far away is Noah? Yeah, Long is another uh, week or two away. Um, Campbell Chester's uh, another week away, we hope. Um, Yes, uh, Harry Edwards will hopefully be back in the next week, uh, week to two weeks. So we've got a few kids coming back, um, and uh, Longy's about the same. He'd be uh, he'd be another couple of weeks. Campbell Chesson, when he returns, presuming he would come back via the waffle, would that be right, or would you have enough confidence in him to play him straight into the AFL? Uh, time will tell. I'm not, not 100% sure at this stage, Duff. Um, he's, he's tracking really well. Been watching him run uh, strongly and change of direction, all that sort of work he needs to do. So uh, he's really attacked his program. Um, for, for a young man, he spent far too much time in rehab over the last few years. So we're really looking forward to getting Campbell back um, 
back into uh, into playing. Um, his, his injuries have been um, really unfortunate over his uh, time before he joined here, joined us, sorry, and um, and since he's been here, they've sort of been collision-based injuries. So. Yeah, he's an exciting, he's an exciting talent and a quality young man, and we're looking forward to his return. One last one for me before I let you go, Gavin. Ruben Jinby's just starting to show a few signs that he's getting a bit reactive, and just wondering whether he's suffering a bit of battle fatigue from playing on all the guns. And do you have to review how you use him a little bit, and maybe free him up and get him across half back, and get him just finding the ball and playing his own game a little bit, rather than having to cope with a superstar every week? Yeah, he certainly played on some big names and been around. Uh, I think he had three three Brownlow medalists in a row. Um, off, the top of my, off the top of my head, he had, I think it was Dangerfield, Ollie Wines, and uh, and Paddy Cripps at times. But you would have seen in the fourth quarter, Simo flipped him to half back. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll continue to try to make the best decisions uh, for for Ruben and for our team at the time. Um, uh, he's had a tremendous start to his AFL career. Again, quality person, really competitive, uh, loves the contest, loves tackling and putting, applying pressure. So really proud and pleased with what, uh, with what Rubes is producing. Gavin, thank you very much for joining us on the show. I know you've got a lot on your plate at the moment and uh, thanks for taking the time to talk us through a few things. Um, good, luck with, uh, good luck with the game against Richmond this weekend. Thank you, mate. Gavin Bell, the football manager from the West Coast Eagles. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line, 0487 736 736, or give us a call on the open line, 13 12 55. We've got Paul Hazelby coming up to dissect Fremantle's 48-point loss to Brisbane. But before then, we'll take a break. Drap yourself in, West Coast. More pain ahead. And we've been saying this for over a year. I think West Coast were late to the party. And whilst there are injuries, we accept that. But there was always a softer underbelly in the development of their list. I think once you start to expose more than 26, 27 players, they were vulnerable. Nobody should be safe at the West Coast Eagles. From the CEO, to the coach, to the footy boss, to the list management group, to the recruiters, to the senior players, they need to take their medicine as a football club, make some change. I would put all contracts on hold because you can't guarantee. I mean, I don't think West Coast can guarantee us that they'll have the same regime in place in six months and 12 months and somebody new coming in doesn't want to be hamstrung mm-hmm. by having all these players contracted where they might come in with a broom and go, bang, you're out of here. Paul Hazelby, Fremantle legend, of course, one half of the run home with Hayes and Mato, which will be on later today at 3pm. After the break, we'll get Hayes to dissect Fremantle's 48-point loss to Brisbane at the Gabba on the weekend. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield. I guess it would be a little bit harder, but I think it's a little bit exciting that we have so much we can learn from as well, like just being inexperienced so we can just try new things and like learn from mistakes and stuff like that. So I think it's not as bad as it looks, but um, would be, I think, more useful if we had a bit more older guys here. But yeah, can't really do anything about it. We're younger, so just have to learn on the way. Fremantle's Brandon Walker about that club's dearth of experienced players all of a sudden. 
Joining me in the studio now is Fremantle legend Paul Hazelby. Of course, he's also one half of the run home with Hayes and Mardo, which will come at 3pm this afternoon on SENWA. Hayes, welcome. Hey, great to be with you again, Duff. It's interesting, isn't it, the, the age of the Fremantle Dockers? But I can't buy into it, to be honest, because it's self-inflicted. They made themselves younger this year with a number of the changes that they made. If you look at, obviously, David Mundy's going to make a massive difference to any age bracket when he retires, given that he was 36-37. Rory Lobb, of course, senior player. Blake Akers, senior player. And Griffin Logue and Darcy Tucker, senior player. So most of that was self-inflicted. So you end up with a younger group. Yes, they're younger, but... You know, they should be in a position where they're contending, and that's coming from people with inside the football club. So were they right? Monday, I mean, no one actually retires, do they? You have the chat to the club and they say, we think it's time. Should they have run Monday round again? Or my feeling is no. My feeling yeah, is my no. feeling last year was no. Like, yeah. And we do look back and reflect on, oh, it'd be great to have David Mundy out there. But this wasn't 2021 David Mundy. Last year, he fell off a little bit compared to the magnificent season he had in 2021. I think he polled 20 votes. So he wasn't yep. at that standard. And I think it was time to move on uh, with David Mundy. But unfortunately, when you lose a few in a cluster, it's made a pretty big difference to their fortunes this season. Acres is an interesting one, isn't it? Because they pretty much basically said to him, look, hmm. we don't value that highly. The, the contract that they offered was the message to Blake Acres was we we don't hold you in that high value. We think you're replaceable. I've but, been wrangling with this one, Duff, because we give the Eagles a hard time for giving some of their senior players what they want, two years. Yep. And the Dockers didn't do that. They did the opposite. So they had Managers, strong managers come to their football club of their players. Rory Lobb included early on getting towards the back end of his contract. A longer extension was wanted by them. And then Blake Akers wanted longer and better money and also Griffin Logue. But the Dockers actually in some ways did the right thing. and didn't pander to the demands of those managers and the players. But in the end, they still cop it because they lose so much experience out of their team. Interested to get your thoughts on Logue versus Cox with the changes in the game. Logue is more athletic, closing speed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. With the game being played the way it is, and the interceptors, I think, finding it tougher to mm. just read the play and sag off and and intercept Mark. Is Brendan Cox been marginalised a little bit? And the the feeling of the club that I, I got the clear feeling that the club thought we'd like to keep Griffin Logue, but we can't possibly pay more than Brendan Cox and Alex Pierce because we think they're better. Yeah. But the way the game is being played. Is Brennan Cox necessarily a better bet than Griffin Logue? Well, Griffin Logue's not setting the world on fire either. He's come in for a bit of scrutiny too. I think Kane Corns lined him up last night on one of the shows in relation to his weight. He thought that he was carrying a little bit this year, which he's never been the case for Griffin Logue. He's always been super fit. But competitions and teams are so smart at working out threats from the opposition. And Brennan Cox has been that threat for the Dockers, that if you just bomb the ball in, he will mark it and become one of the better intercept markers in the competition. You look at St Kilda and their success and what Port Adelaide did to them. They switched the ball. They got it away from just going down the line, Mm. refused to do it. We see that against Melbourne um, with Lever and May. So you've got to have different options, I guess, in your back half, be able to win that ball back. 
and he's just been a little bit laconic at the moment. Brennan Cox not setting the world on fire, and you just wonder, is it worth it long? And I've been I've been on this bandwagon for a long time. Just throw him forward. They're one short potentially in the forward line. Could it be this week when you take on the Hawks, who've really only got Mitch Lewis, uh, Fergus Green's mid-size? I know they'll have a resting Ruckman, but. If you're ever going to do it, I reckon this week could be the week to put Brennan Cox in the forward line and just have a look and see how it works because it's going to help Jai Amos and it's going to help Luke Jackson having another one down there. Yeah, Jai Amos over the last two weeks has been buffeted out of the way and, and mm. pushed, pushed around a little bit, hasn't he? And that's going to happen a bit given his frame at the moment. So it's going to be fascinating to see how they manage that. So give me, tell me about the effort against Brisbane. What did you like? What did you not like? I liked it. I actually liked it because we've been sitting here, we've been demanding that. There was one I word. I didn't. One word you asked me last week was what they need to bring, and it was the intent, is what I mentioned. And yep. Longy said after the game, dare and intent. And we saw that. They tried something different, and they had to. And whether or not that's just for this week because they played Brisbane, they thought they had to do something different up there, or whether this is the start of a bit of change. Now, the balance wasn't right. There was times when they just overkilled with their handball. And because they haven't trained it, they're 12 weeks behind every other club that actually started playing this way way back in pre-season. So there's going to be a catch-up factor with that. And there's an element of maybe some of their players aren't skilled enough to execute because they did a lot of it right, but it was that one or two possession, whether it was the inside 50 kick, whether it was the last handball in the chain, it just came undone. But I felt they're closer now than they ever have been to getting back towards the finals and maybe getting back towards top four next year than they were last week when they were playing the slower, laborious type of football that we saw to start this season. So I wondered whether they'd pick the wrong venue to do it at the human conditions, the slippery ball. It looked like um, mm. I've never seen Lockie Schultz fumble so much, and a few of a few of the others also had had fumbles. You mentioned that last handball in the chain that came unstuck quite a bit, didn't it? It did, yeah. So you know you can start it this week. Or you can actually put together six or eight weeks. And I think it's going to take that long for them to really start to master it. Now, they get a good chance against Hawthorne, and they should get the result, hopefully, this weekend against them. But it's about, for me, setting yourself up now for a game plan that gives you all facets. So we know that they can play controlled footy, and you still need to play controlled footy. You can't go 100% all the time. So now they add that element into their game from the back half. They turn it over. They can do the run through by hand. And if they can introduce quicker ball movement by foot, I think then they have all bases covered. And it won't be for this year, but it'll set them up well for next year when they get a few reinforcements, hopefully. But in their forward line, they need one or two changes going into next season. Alex Pierce looked like he got some of his mojo back, sort of one-on-ones. There's a couple of still shoddy kicks in there mm. that put teammates under pressure, but he just looked towards the end of the game like he was standing up in the contest, taking marks, looked a bit more sure of himself. Yeah, he did. And he was good two weeks ago against Ben King. He played really well, and Ben King, since that game's actually put together a good block of football. So he's going to be that player that I think, you know, if the pressure's okay up the ground, he won't get exposed too often. But clearly, ball in hand... I reckon even since Longmuir's come there, he's probably taken away a bit of his flair. Remember Alex Pierce, the, the guy that wanted to take the game on and run and carry? Yep, yeah, so Longmuir's coached that out of him, and, and rightly so, because if you are that player that, um, you know, turns it over in that part of the ground, then you do become vulnerable back the other way. So, yeah, it, but, but it also makes it a little bit easier to defend when you have one or two players in your back half that you know aren't going to weigh in too much on the offensive style. What's wrong with the midfield? They got smashed. 
Mm. Like that's an absolute smashing. So, so what's going wrong in there? Well, one of the best players is down. Andrew Brayshaw got back to his best, and he did admit last night that he'd been carrying that knee injury, but he feels like he's pain free. So, hopefully, he can get back to playing that level that he was at last year, where he was voted by his peers as the best player in the competition. The wing setup's not working, and you look at Blake Acres leaving. He showed on the weekend against the West Coast Eagles that he gives. He gives everything, doesn't he, Blake Akers? Mm. What, he, what he was when he got recruited was an inside player. So mm. he brings that, but he was playing on the outside. So he gives you the outside defensive run. He gives you the stability that you need as a wingman, but he also had that ability when the time was right to win footy and get forward. And whilst he wasn't always the best kick, he won plenty of possession. He's averaging 26 so far with Carlton, and that's probably a bit over what he would have averaged at Freebell, just because of the way that Carlton shift the ball around by hand. They're all big possession numbers through the midfield. Ethan Hughes, you know, averaging, I think, 13 or 14. And James Aish, I reckon, has dropped off a little bit too. So you've got two yeah. wingmen on the outside that haven't aren't having a big influence either with their defensive work or their offensive work, winning the ball at the right time and, and carrying the footy inside the forward 50. I thought Matt Johnson played well. I thought mm. that was his best game of AFL footy. It's a shame about the suspension, but that's what you're going to get when you throw a bloke to the ground now. Um, how did you rate him? And do they need to stay with Neil Erasmus as well, get games into these players? Absolutely, yeah. Liked his game, particularly the second half. There was a few errors in the first half, but that's going to come with young players. And handling those conditions at the Gabba is not always easy, a bit of due on the footy, but he worked himself into it. And you can see it every week. He's building, he's growing in confidence. We've spoken a bit before about his ability to win the ball and make the right choice with the option, and it's not always the first choice. And I think one of the biggest things in modern-day footy are the players that can not give the easy option. You've actually got to give a licence to some that can find the harder option that's going to lead to a better inside 50 entry or an easier shot on goal down the chain. Because if you just give the easy option, defences are so well drilled at knowing where the ball's going, they shift across, and then you've got to get through all of them. So I think he can add that to the Fremantle Dockers in time. Neil Erasmus, absolutely, it's time. You brought him in for the sub role. He logically should come in and play the same role as Johnson. Throw him through the inside mid as well, because we know that's his strength, and you'd be setting up to setting him up to fail if you just put him on the wing. So I think he needs to go through both of those positions. And Carl Warner is the other one. Is it time that we had a look at somebody different? He's playing some good football for Peel Thunder. I was going to ask you about that, and um, to me. He gets better every week, and you get to a point where if you don't play them at that point in time, they go over the hump a little bit, and then mm. they, they come in when they're over the other side and not feeling as good about themselves. To me, it's cherry ripe for Warner to play, isn't it? Home game, um, you know, against a bottom team, surely you play him. And it's not a big call on Ethan Hughes, is it? Like, I think he's had a good block, but you just wonder, where's the ceiling for Ethan Hughes? Is he, is he close to it? Because he's not a young player. And then is that ceiling enough for your wing position? And we're seeing across the competition, Travis Bokes played that. Still Sidebottom's doing it as well as any. Ed Langdon's done it for a long time. So there's still, I think, a bit of value to be put in that position. And I just think Ethan Hughes, while he, he tries hard and he gives you probably a bit of stability defensively, but I just think we're not going to see the upside that you need from that position. And, and the other one is James Aish. Like, is he going to turn that into a position that's really threatening and dangerous. I think he does his better work when he's on the inside. So for mine, they need to find another wing, and let's find out this weekend with two different ones, potentially with Erasmus at times, and also Carl Warner. I wonder whether the way they try and take
take the game on is the right way, Hayes. The the high handball from deep in defence. If you look at Collingwood, Collingwood gets the decisive kick mm. to the yeah. counter attack position, and that, that's the that's the genius of Dacos, isn't it? Really, that one kick that changes the game completely. Could Aish be a player that can see that and hit that if he was playing in defence as opposed to on a wing? Oh, no, I don't, I don't think he's penetrating enough with that kick. And I don't right. think he's crafty enough to move around and get himself out of tough positions, which is what Nick Dacos does. We're talking about one of the greats of all time. In my belief, Nick Dacos will be. So you can't just throw any player on your team to think he can do what Nick Dacos does. But you're right, they need that sort of player. Mm. But they need all three modes. So, you know, the mode of kicking the ball where they do go wide and they sort of shift the defence a little bit that way and they're looking for gaps to go into. The mode to move it quickly when it does present with a handball. And the third one, as you said, the mode to move it quickly. It doesn't have to be instant, but it's always you might go left or right with your kick, but then the next one is setting yourself up to go corridor and then to get the run from behind through the corridor and hopefully you're coming through the centre of the ground towards the front of the centre square to get your launch pad inside your forward 50 from that position. One last one from me. Nathan Fife hypothetically is fit this week. Does he play waffle? Does he play AFL first 22? Does he play AFL as sub? Two weeks ago, I was certain that he comes back through the waffle. But I think I've changed on that. I think they need somebody in there from a contested possession point of view. And I like what Longy did with the forward line. He's put Jagro Mira in there. So he's always been a coach that's had all forwards inside your forward 50 or your forward line. So seven, basically, six on the ground, one on the bench. But he's put O'Meara there. We saw Brayshaw swap through there a few times as well. And they got four goals from those players. Now, whether that's a result of the change in the game style that they are running through a bit more, I'm not quite sure. But I think there's a position for them to do that with O'Meara, Fife, Brayshaw, Brody at times rotating through that position. So it gives them a bit more flexibility at the right time to better themselves to win those contested possession counts of which they've been flogged every single game. I'm, I've lied to you. I'm going to ask you one more. Does Fremantle take a pick at the mid-season draft? And if they do, what do they need? They need a key forward that can kick 60 goals. Are you going to find that in the mid-season draft with their pick? Jack Jeff Buller, Buller would be there. Would be nice. Will he be there? Not quite sure. But, yeah, you look around the competition, and, again, I think over the preseason, they failed just to bring in another one. They brought in Josh Corbett, but they're not using him. But, yep. you know, whether it was a Josh Shackey, whether it was a Sam Wiedemann that's actually playing pretty well kick five on the weekend, just, just an extra option to try and help out that forward line. Or hopefully they've got big plans to bring somebody in at the end of this year, but they don't have anything to pay for it because they've given away their first pick. Paul Hazelby, as uh, Dirk says on the temporary bedshed text line, I love hearing Hayes' analysis on the game. Thank you very much for joining us, mate. Well played. Thank you, mate. Always a pleasure. We'll be back after the break with more of the show. This caught my attention pre-game with Griffin Logue and Channel 7. But have you had tracksuit? Nah, it wouldn't, wouldn't bother. So you're talking trash. You need to have two meals prepared at the same time. Mate, it's probably the reason I put on an extra five, I reckon. Just, uh, all, the, all the steaks, big bullies been feeding me, so... 
Now he's, Yon, having, he's having a laugh there, clearly, but he looks overweight to me. I look at what Ross Lyon has done. I know you spoke about this on Wednesday. Jack Steele said Ross challenged him and Seb Ross to lose five kilos when he first got there. He's putting on five and playing for North and giving effort like this. St Kilda players are losing five. So I at least expected Alistair Clarkson to drive hard standards and get those little things right. So then that up, adds up to big things and you don't see Griffin Logue let a North just walk into a goal. You haven't taken a joke too far. Maybe, anyway. maybe, but he looks heavy to me. Kane Corns, never one to let an opinion f- go by the wayside. Always very keen to express it. Griffin Logue does look bigger in a North Melbourne jumper, but sometimes the different shorts and the different jumpers that they wear make them look a little bit different. We'll take some news, and after the news, we'll be back with West Coast legend Josh Kennedy to unpack his team's loss to Carlton at the weekend. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. champion Josh Kennedy of course an AFL life member and uh, all round super shot at goal if you wanted someone to kick for your life I reckon there wouldn't be many better than Josh when he was on top of his game and he joins us on the show to unpack West Coast 108 point loss to Carlton at the weekend if you want to ask Josh a question now's your chance the temper at bedshed text line is open 0487 736 736 Josh welcome Good morning, Duff. How are you? I'm all right, mate. Now, I'm told you had a training session up there at Northampton and you couldn't walk afterwards. So how are you? <laughs> uh, I've just recovered. I finally got over the weekend. So, yeah, now I trained Wednesday night and I was, uh, I was nowhere on Thursday walking around. My wife was telling me, what the bloody hell are you doing? And um, I was in a grumpy mood for a couple of days, but um, I've all rested up now, so I'm actually all right. So this is put paid to any thoughts that you might strip for the, uh, the <laughs> West Coast waffle team and run around like Will Schofield and Kane uh, Mitchell have? Yeah, well, it would be very interesting. I know Scotty said he couldn't walk for a few days, so I would have been loved to have been a flyer and, uh, on his, in his household, I suppose, after that game because I reckon I was feeling his pain after my hour training session. It was, um, yeah, I, I, I do it every time. I have a couple of weeks off where I don't go, and then I feel really good, and I think I'll get out there and have a crack. And the boys have just started round one this week, so uh, Northampton played. Um, and they've been doing a lot of match teams. So I join in and then I can't walk for two days and I, I realise that's why I finished footy. So, um, but I'll probably do it in, in two weeks' time, mate. I, I don't learn. Yeah, that's right. Well, that, that's all of us, Josh. We're all slow learners. It's part of, <laughs> it's, it's part of the human condition, mate, I think. Um, Saturday yeah. night, not much good to come out of that. It was pretty bad. What, what, what was your take on it? Yeah, look, I was obviously... Yeah, it's, 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 been a tough year for West Coast, obviously, with their list, but, you know, we've seen over the, the first few rounds where being undermanned, um, but still putting up a, a bit of a fight, um, and not getting that consistency over four quarters, but seeing glimpses here and there, and obviously what they've been working on pre-season in, in terms of game style, being able to see that, and 
uh, get pretty excited about it at times, even though um, I suppose they've been under the pump, but the resilience has been there. But yeah, on the weekend, it, um, it looked like the boys had, had hit that point where they were uh, pretty flat and yeah, there wasn't much fight and there wasn't much hunt. And um, Carlton, yeah, really were ruthless with it and they put the foot down and uh, were able to show why they're a strong team, but, um, but they didn't give any mercy to West Coast. Is there such a thing in a footy club as crisis fatigue where you're, you're under the pump for so long that eventually just the, the cracks start have appeared? And is there a danger that if there is such a thing that that's what's starting to happen at West Coast? Um, I don't think it's starting to happen. I just think the situation and the reality is is that, you know, injuries have happened. Um, I think, you know, this week they've only got 26 to possibly pick from. Hopefully Dom comes back, which makes it 27, but your squad every week is 26. So you're probably going to see um, a few guys maybe not play in the waffle game this week um, and a couple get replaced and coming in. But, um, but yeah, the... <laughs> It, it comes down internally. Um, I swear, externally, everyone looks at it and, and goes, what the hell's going on? What's wrong with this or this? Or we're seeing fractures here, we're seeing this. And But internally, you know, I've been in these situations before over time where, you know, from the footy department to the players, you know, they... They really make sure they're locking down and they're aware of what's going on and aware of the feelings and addressing those feelings um, because, like you said, if you're not uh, addressing it or you're not talking about it, um, some guys can bottle things up and it can get to that point you're talking about with that kind of fatigue crisis and it gets too overwhelming. But, um, you know, they're all putting their right foot forward. The guys that can train are on the track and the guys that aren't training um, who are injured are really working hard on on, on being able to get back um, and be able to, I suppose, give something to the team and and hopefully towards the back end we'll see a bit of a shift in that. But at the moment, it's it's a bit of bunker down and... um, you know, make sure you get your training right. Training becomes really important. They don't have enough to be able to do any contest work or match play, um, you know, which is the one thing that you consistently need to keep doing every week. And uh, when you, I suppose most teams want to win that contested side of the footy and get it forward, if you can't really train it, it becomes quite difficult. So um, they're obviously in the trenches, but I'm sure they'll bunker down and, and, and look back at this time over the next, you know, whether it's one year from now, six months, three years, and they'll, they'll look at it and, um, you know, they'll look and know that they actually gained something from it, even though when you're in it, it looks um, looks pretty terrible. Was there a point in your career where you went through that? And uh, are you able to look back on that and reflect on that now? Let's say uh, you were there in 2010, which was a pretty tough year, and they yeah. won the wooden spoon. So um, yeah. what, what do you recall going back to that time? Yeah, it was it was it was quite difficult because I suppose you, we came off 2009, um, had a bit of a, a you know an up and down year. We're just out of the finals, I think, in 13th, and um, finishing last or going through that point where you only get two or three wins. Um, you know, you never really thought about. But when you when you're in it, um, you know, it, it's it's very quite difficult. You know, we did have a lot of injuries. There was a lot of younger younger players playing um, and trying to balance. I suppose uh, the mood of, of of the group in in one understanding and the reality of you know you're probably not going to be getting a game um, unless there are these injuries. So making the most of that opportunity and uh, some weeks you train and you you'd have a bit of fight and you come through and, and play and, and you'd see what you've been practicing come into fruition and and be able to do that and that those little games are something that. Um, you need to grasp on onto, but when you're in it at the time, it is it's terrible. Winning changes everything, no matter um, what sporting organisation you are. And when you do consistently lose over time, and 
We, a little bit different. We had the back end of the year. I think we lost about four games by under a kick. So we we're actually putting up a little bit of fight. And I think those little things kind of just keep trickling you through. And then you look at 2011, uh, you have a good pre-season, you come in and, and you start winning some games and all of a sudden you look back at those times and you, you learn so much and you know that uh, you, you probably build a bit of resilience in those tough times. And I think that period helped in, you know, further years when things weren't going well, things were tough, form was out, injuries were happening. And you're able to look back at those times and go, look, I've been here before, done it. Um, you know, we'll get through this. It's just making the most of the opportunity, what you can do, um, what you can control, um, knowing that uh, you will be better coming out at the end of it. I wrote a piece for Code Sports last night and I just asked the question, if a team is this low for so long, does there have to be change? Are you confident that Trevor Nisbet is the right CEO, that Adam Simpson is the right coach, that they have the right people in place to get them through and out the other end of this? Because sometimes it's almost as if, regardless of whose fault it is, there needs to be a circuit yeah. breaker of some sort. What's your feeling as to how the club will will stand by their men, if you like? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. When, when, when things are down, um, you know, you, you start to look at uh, not just, I suppose, the games and the players. You look at everything. You start critiquing, you know, game style. You start critiquing how the, I suppose, clubs are run and, and, and the people um, involved running them. But I've got full faith in, in you know, Trevor Nisbet and, and Adam Simpson to be able to pull these guys out. And we are talking some big injuries here. You know, on the weekend they had 12 of probably their starting 22 play. Um, there's 11-odd that um, that probably aren't in the side and they're probably playing waffle. Um, so that brings some inconsistency in one experience, but then, you know, also game, uh, game sense, um, connectivity uh, on the field and being able to gel. So... Um, regardless of how good your game plan is, it, 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 it's very hard to execute when you're, you're sitting at this point. So, um, you know, most people external will always always push to, to I suppose, the coach because it always the buck stops with him. But a lot of those things are out of his control and what he's doing. Um, and it's about the boys making sure that they can stay on the park and train because if you, you don't have consistency in your training and, um, and I suppose that connectivity of, of the 22 that mostly play every week, um, it is very hard to execute it. So um, that would be all over it. They'd be planning ahead. They'd be making sure that, um, you know, the things are put in the right place um, to be able to accommodate, you know, this so it doesn't carry on too much longer but um, you know the likelihood of the injuries I think the, the minimum I don't know who's back first but it's probably two or three weeks so um, hopefully Dom is back this week and yeah it's, it's just a matter of injuries I think I think Dom Sheed probably plays this week by the sounds of what, what they're saying Brady Hoff maybe yeah. um, I think maybe. Brady Hoff will either be zero to one week but um, yeah the, the rest are, are further away and on that there's some big names on long term on the long term sort of injury front aren't mm. there and are you confident that Jeremy McGovern Nick Natanui Luke Shuey Elliot Yo, do they still have good footy in them do you think yeah, I, I think they do. I think, you know, uh, your, your career and whatever age you're at, you, you flow through form, um, you try new things. Um, sometimes old things don't work. There's the shift in game. There's a shift in the sports science, you know, in, in how to operate your body. So there's all these different things that come in and, 
and that kind of can, you know, shift the way, I suppose, you see the game and, and how you see yourself and how you see, I suppose, you being able to have an impact on game day and, you know, a couple of these guys have, haven't played much footy and, and have been, you know, out of form, but I always come back to the consistency of being able to, you know, train and play um, and being in that confident spot that, yeah, you can understand what's going on. And um, I have no doubt those guys and the experience they've had and the careers they've had, plus the talent that they've got, um, they're obviously accommodating, you know, their body at the moment, and that's probably the one thing, but their head um, and their, their mental capacity to be able to play the game and play well is still there. But, you know, I suppose that, that little uh, that little demon sitting on the side of your shoulder does always come into into your ear. And especially when you do go post 30, you start to think, you know, is it my body? Am I, you know, should I be playing? And those questions are something that every player goes through at that, that stage. And, um, you know, I have no doubt uh, they'll all work through that and, and come out the end a lot better. If you were them, Josh, would you be taking a mid-season draft pick, freeing up a list spot with one of your long-term injured players? And if you did take a mid-season draft pick, what is the player or the type of player that West Coast most needs, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I would. You're definitely, you're definitely going to look at that because of what's happening. And there's a few long-term injury um, kind of guys who aren't coming back. And, um, you know... <sighs> You're probably going to have to go towards that midfielder, um, trying to get, uh, I suppose, a little bit of experience um, in that midfield because that's where it starts. And if you want to be winning contests and, and clearances, you need to be able to accommodate kind of through that role. Now, I think, you know, in terms of development-wise over the next few years, the, the backs, um, you know, have some have some good young kids coming through. The forwards do as well. Um, and you've still got, you know, some key position players there that will, that will play over the next few years. So it's probably that midfield spot that you you, you, you want to look at. Um, you know, someone who can probably go midfield and maybe that half-back with that run because seeing the way they play and, and the way Jermaine Jones has been able to kind of give that drive off that half-back area, um, someone similar to that. I like Liam Duggan's game on the weekend too. I thought that, you know, given that down in defence there, they must have felt like they were in a shooting gallery at times on the weekend. <laughs> His yeah. his ability just to stand up in the contest and and win his share of the fifty fifties and uh, and sort of like it's almost like in a game like that when you do win a couple of fifty fifties it almost feels like it's a bit of a momentum staller, isn't it? And he was able to do that a couple of times. I think I might have asked you this last yeah. week, and and it links into how they use Ruben Jinby, but but could they use? Liam Duggan a little bit more in the midfield, switch Jinby back to halfback, give him a bit of respite from playing on the superstars and and maybe try and tilt things back their way a little bit that way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, you look at the inside 50 counts over the, the, the last few weeks, I don't know if uh, Jinby will be getting a rest if he's playing down halfback. So <laughs> they're a bit difficult, but... Um, but no, like Dougo in the way he plays, he's such a such a strong, um, you know, kind of contested player, and um, you know he has the ability to really read the game quite well, um, and has has that scope to come into the midfield just to add a bit more of a bigger body and a phys- physical sense around it, and. He's good uh, in that contest and being able to hold his feet. Um, you know, even though he's had he's had problems with his knees over over many years, he still he still has that centre of gravity to be able to hold his feet and be in a good position to win that footy. And, and yeah, those moments are the things that you 
you do look for, I suppose, as a fan and, and as a player and when the chips are down and you just feel like nothing's going wrong and then there's that 50-50 contest that's kind of halved or win or, um, and Duggo is, is in that position a lot, especially being down back. A list management question. I think Jaden Hunt's been really good for them. And should they be looking to pick up a, I guess, another cheapie that brings certain traits to the to, to the team that may help them, um, you know, just progress this rebuild along? And another mature body that's maybe quick and and pretty strong in the contest like Jaden Hunt has been. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, there's 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 not many that kind of slip through the gaps like that. Like and and being able to get them, like you said, cheaply. Uh, and Jaden Hunt. You know, he's a terrific player and has been, and he has that experience. He's still young, um, but he, he has that strength, size, and speed. And um, I think the way the game's going, that, that repeat effort um, and endurance, um, but with that top-end speed, which is, you know, almost the complete athlete that everyone's been trying to chase over the last, you know, five to seven years, you know, young kids coming through that kind of missed out on the draft or are sitting on a list and just been a year out that still have a little bit of a go that haven't fit into a side, um, they're the ones yeah, you definitely should be chasing. And um, I suppose that speed is, is, is the big one. Um, seeing the way a lot of clubs these days, that speed is very important One to once you've got the footy in to drive out, uh, but then, and also the repeat efforts in, in transition um, because the teams that are they're winning the transition game are obviously scoring pretty heavily. The game's incredibly difficult to play now, isn't it? The speed the game operates at and the athletic profile required to be an effective player almost anywhere on the ground now is quite extraordinary. Yep. Has the game shifted further than you thought it would off the back of these rules, you know, the stand the mark rule, the the, the protected space rule? It, it just feels like the, the speed has magnified really, really quickly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you definitely seen I've seen you know, transition over the last well, the 17 years that I played. It, um, it, it you know, went from one-on-one contest to um, all of a sudden the explosive uh, kind of speed midfielders came and started dominating. And then <clears throat> looking as from as a forward uh, and a lot of the defenders that you played on were, you know, just the, the normal dower, same height defenders. And then they all shot up. They all went 200 centimetre plus. They all had a reach of, you know, um, you know X amount. And uh, they could all run, had endurance. They had the speed that... I suppose you look at the McKay type, the Kurnow type, the Oscar Allen type, um, the Noah Bolter. Uh, these players just started coming into the game as athletes um, and being able to find them, especially in those key position roles. Uh, and obviously then, you know, the midfielders that, that started getting up towards Patrick Cripps' height um, and being able to dominate, I suppose, that ground level with that height, you know. It, um, it has exploded into that and... I think that in terms of list management, trying to find those players is yeah, they're looking at complete athletes. Some didn't really have a good football sense, but I think a lot of teams wanted to try and coach it into them. Um, and some worked, and some didn't. But you can you're now starting to see a lot of those really keen game sense young kids come through that are the, the full athlete, and they're the ones that have been shining, I suppose, over the last five years. Now, you did tip Essendon and Geelong to draw on the weekend, Josh. I heard the replay of that on the radio on the way in. You did, you did walk it back yeah. semi-successfully, I think. But uh, um, <laughs> how, how will the Eagles go against the Tigers this weekend? Yeah, look, it's going to be another tough, 
tough challenge. They're going to be on the road, so it's another good opportunity for the group to kind of get together um, as, a, as, a, as a group and, and spend some time together. And look, there'll be obviously a few changes with Bazo, and I think Samo will be out as well. So, um, you know, getting Truly in, um, you know, whether they bring in another ruck, um, it's, yeah, it's, and hopefully Dominic, like you said, with Hoff, will, might be the other two that come come through. So, look, it's it's going to be a big task. Um, hopefully the, the, the boys can do a little bit of training and get something out. And um, all they've got to be doing is pushing for those small wins. And we're probably not going to see um, a big jump or change in, in many things over the next few weeks due to, due to the injuries and, and where they're at. But um, as long as they're taking those little wins out of every game um, to just keep them ticking over, um, you know, they'll look back at this time and you know that they, um, they come out the other end a lot better. Josh Kennedy, thank you so much for joining us on the show, mate. Uh, stay away from training and, uh, and and be able to walk yep. properly. That's my <laughs> advice to you. Thanks for joining us. Beautiful. I'll take that. <laughs> That's Josh Kennedy, of course, West Coast Eagles legend, AFL life member. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line 0487 736 736. Call us on the open line 13 12 55. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. We've got a lot of texts coming through on the temperate bedshed text line. That is 0487 736 736. If you want to get one in late in the show today, you can call us on the open line also 13 12 55. And we've got gun producer Paul Heath in the studio with me, and we're going to go through a few before the news. Hello, Duff. Uh, let's start with Dirk, who says, Hi, Mark. I'm listening from Melbourne. As always, uh, enjoy listening to your time slot. Very kind, Dirk. Uh, West Coast Eagles have a difficult decision. Do they take the higher... Uh, draft pick to the draft, or do the Eagles uh, consider splitting the high draft pick into multiple picks for this year's draft? It was uh, probably similar to one that I reckon we dealt with yesterday, Mm. and to me, Harley Reid sounds like a special player, and you don't want to pass up the the opportunity to Mm. get a special player, so I'd be tempted to take, let's say they get the number one draft pick, I'd be tempted to take the number one draft pick and, and take Harley Reid because yep. one really, really good player, like a Chris Jarter, Gary Ablett Jr., um, that sort of player, even like a um, we've just been talking to Josh Kennedy or a Matthew Pavlich or a Lance Franklin, mm. they can change an enormous amount at your footy club. Um, I think they did the right thing this year by splitting the picks and getting both Jinby and Elijah Hewitt. But I think when there's a standout, a bloke that has the chance to change your, your club stars, mm. as they say, like a bit like Dacos has done for Collingwood, I, I think you take the star. Would you change that opinion if, you know, it's always predictions and all of that sort of thing around AFL draft and we see the boards, but if we had three top WA talents considered within the top 15 perhaps, or top 20, and West Coast were in the frame to be able to get all three of them if they split that number one pick. So it depends on the draft, doesn't it? So if you take the Andy Brayshaw draft, Mm. for example, so the Andy Brayshaw draft was Cam Rayner, Andrew Brayshaw, Paddy Dow, who hasn't made it yet. I'm told he's tearing it up in the VFL, but he still hasn't made it. Um, Adam Chera and Luke Davies-Uniak. They Mm. were the top five picks. Now, there's not a lot between those players. Mm. They're all a bit different. Um, Davies Uniak at one stage over the last sort of back half of last year, early part of this year, was emerging as possibly the best of them. Cam Rain is a game breaker. Andy Brayshaw, rock solid player, um, you know, AFL players MVP last year, so therefore exceptionally good pick. Um, and then you've got Adam Chera, who, you know, exquisite ball user, mm. um, great value for money whenever he gets to footy. So if you've got a draft like that, 
then I reckon yeah. you're a chance to split the picks and get two good ones. Mm. But if you've got a draft where there's an absolute gun, yeah. take the gun. But they're talking generational talent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. take the gun. Yeah. They talk generational talent every year. Every year, yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> once in a generation talent that's every it. year. Yeah, that's All right. right. We'll go to the news. We'll be back with more of your texts after the news. Don't forget to send them in on the temperate bedshed text line, 0487 736 736. I definitely believe that this is the window. Um, You know, we stayed as a summer sport for the first six years and we wanted to offer something different. We wanted to try and capture an audience and we have done that. I feel like we've done um, a very, very uh, good job to be able to capitalise on what is a state and a nation that's footy mad. Um, So we think this is the right time frame and, yes, it's our home now. AFLW Chief... Nicole Livingston on the new time slot for the AFLW, which, of course, will be from the start of September uh, running into December. Still a 10-week home-and-away season plus the finals. I reckon the jury's out a little bit on it. I think that over summer it did have a point of difference um, and, uh, and, and that gave it, I think, relevance. It also came at a time when people were starting to hanker for footy. Um, and I wonder whether it gets lost in the men's competition the, where it starts now. So uh, I, I, I think that's a wait and see as to whether they've gotten that one right. We'll take a break and we'll be back with more of your texts after the break. Uh, you can send them through on the Temperate Bedshed text line 0487 736 736. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Welcome back to the show. We're closing in on the end of the show. We're going to run through a few texts. We've got Paul Heath, the producer, in the studio. And, Paul, there's a few to get through. Yes, uh, we'll start with John. Uh, Morning, Duff. As an Eagles member, I'm concerned where the team is tracking. However, I'd rather be going through this now than when the Tassie uh, team comes in around 27, 28, and they'll likely get draft concessions and preferences. Now, that's a really good point, and this is why the Eagles have to go back to the draft again this year and probably next year as well because, basically, once Tasmania come in, and start getting those concessions, anyone who's caught down the bottom at that stage is going to be in a world of pain. So Mm. that's a really good text from John. Uh, Any chance that Corbett lines up for Fremantle this weekend? Looks like he's got a nice set of hands and a big body in the forward line. We saw him as a sub uh, in the Western Bulldogs match, but uh, he was back to Peel after that. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think did he travel as the one of the emergencies? I yeah, think to Brisbane, have. but didn't yep. didn't get a game. Um, yeah, I th- it may depend a bit on how they manage uh, Jai Amos. If they think Jai Amos needs a spell, then maybe Josh Corbett gets a run. Of course, the other one that played very well on the weekend was Josh Tracy. Mm. Didn't really hit the scoreboard, but apparently was uh, very imposing at the contest. Mm. So he's a young bloke. He's one that you'd probably want to give games to as well. It's hard because with someone like Tracy, he's only really been given that one game opportunity a lot of the times, isn't it? You need to build the consistency, just get your bearings and that sort of thing. It's too much to expect them to come in and immediately have impact sometimes. That's right, and it takes a while. We all look at um, the the career trajectory of someone like a Nick Dacos or a Chris Judd, um, but some of them have completely different mm. career trajectories. Some of them it takes three, four, five years. Like we started to see some signs, for example, for West Coast player young Xavier O'Neill still only 22, had 11 disposals and kicked two goals in the mm. first half the other night. Now, he had a, he got a blow to the ribs and was quieter after. But if you're West Coach, you're looking at that and going, maybe there's something there. That was the first time he's kicked two. And, yeah. So, and, yeah. Um, so I, I think that um, you've got to be careful that you're 
you don't write him off too quickly. Mm. Josh Tracy's one that if I'm Fremantle, I'm wanting wanting him to get more opportunities in the rest of the season. He has enough of the qualities that they're lacking at the moment. He can kick goals, he can take marks, he can kick long goals as well. He's got a bit of presence about yeah, him too. that helps. Yeah. Um, Dirk joining us again saying, this week's Fremantle and Hawthorne should be a great game. Hawthorne should not be taken lightly. It's a massive danger game for Fremantle. It's a must win. Yeah, I look. I, I think Hawthorne are a serious chance of tipping Fremantle yeah, over this week, bit. which won't um, go too well for how the club feels about itself or how its fans <laughs> feel about it. But I do think the main thing for Fremantle is to establish a brand mm. between now and the end of the season. So you want to see them having a real crack, and you want to see a brand emerge because they've got it wrong in the first few weeks, and um, they need to get it right so they can build on it further next year. They're young enough that they've got some time on their side, but they need to get something out of the rest of this year because I'm I'm putting a line through them. They're not playing finals. Mm. And it's only Tuesday, but what do you feel about Fife maybe getting a game this weekend? Um, yeah, I reckon if he's fit, I would play him as the sub. Yeah. There you go. Yep. I think that um, then he's in the team, uh, he's in the right spot if you need him, um, and hopefully he can have an impact, and hopefully that won't stress his body too much. I think he's just as likely to get hurt or pull up sore if he plays Waffle. Yeah. Uh, Matty and Bell Divers saying, Hey, Duff, I think everyone needs to take a breath regarding the Eagles. Their ladder positions for the last five years are Premiers, 5th, 5th, 9th, and 17th. Two years ago, they were still fighting for finals. They are injury ravaged at the moment in the midst of a rebuild. Just relax, everyone. Give them a couple of years and they will be back on the upward trend towards their next flag. It's okay to have a couple of bad years in a row and get some picks. Yeah, I wrote a piece for Code, and the reason I wrote a piece for Code, I I acknowledge the injuries. The injuries are bad. 17 on the list last week. There won't be any less on that list this week. But they sooked in the hub in 2020 in Queensland, and they blew – that. they were in the premiership window at the start of 2020, mm. and they blew one of their premiership window years. And I get the feeling they've been trying to play catch-up ever since. And they turned – at 8-5 for home in 2021, and then they lost 7 out of 9. Mm. And that's the turning point. That's the crash landing for this club. And they've been nowhere ever since then. So are there severe injuries? Yes. But the injury profiles of a number of senior players aren't good. Uh, that, and that's Nick Natanui, that's Jeremy McGovern, that's Luke Shuey, that's Elliot Yo. Now you've got Jamie Cripps, who's been a durable player, but he's going to be a 31-year-old coming off a broken ankle. You've got Shannon Hearn, who will almost certainly retire at the end of the year. I suspect Luke Shuey will retire at the end of the year as well. That is a lot of A-grade quality to replace. Mm. Um, so I see them, they're going to miss finals this year for sure. I see them unless something dramatic changes, missing finals again next year, that's going to be more years out of the finals yep. than West Coast has ever had. The system is designed to bring the bottom back to the top. Mm. So therefore, yeah, they'll be okay in the longer term, but that doesn't mean they've gotten a few things wrong out of all of this. I appreciate uh, Matt and Beldivis's, um patience call, and he might be being patient, but I don't know how many of uh, his Eagles brethren are going to join him quite with that patience Actually, you if know, we get to that point as well. Yeah, this is an interesting one, because, and one of the reasons I wrote the piece for Carl is that I get the feeling they're the most failure-tolerant club in the AFL now. And it's almost like a lot of their fans just go, oh, well, you know, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay too. Like I, oh, I, absolutely. I, I get endlessly frustrated by Fremantle fans just going the, the yeah. tonk on the club, yeah. you know, and, and disregarding years when they've been competitive. You know, the, they come out with, the, this club's given me 30 years of misery. <laughs> You know, they, they didn't play in a grand final. They did play in a series of finals under Ross Lyon. There's a, there's yeah. like just 
don't have a selective memory. Yeah, mate, you came to them. They didn't come to you, you know? Um, but, but I do think <laughs> West Coast, is, there's going to come a point where if West Coast stays this low for much yeah. longer, there's going to have to be a shift. Yeah, a bit of a critical mass. Uh, and one more before we uh, head to the last break. Will the Eagles go hard for Devin and Robinson this year? And will Jeremy Sharp consider the Eagles over the Dockers if he leaves the Suns? They both seem to be down the pecking order at their clubs at the moment. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think the question probably that you ask on top of that is with the game, the way the game's played at the moment where the ability to use the ball precisely through the midfield and take the game on is so critical, is Devin Robinson. Devin Robinson is a goer, mm. absolute goer, absolute top shelf person. Is he a slice and dice man? I don't think he is. The fact that he hasn't been able to force his way into Brisbane's team, that's a concern. I think he'd be useful on your list, mm. but don't think he's going to come and solve all your problems. That's that's not going to happen. Yeah. He, he may be more used to Fremantle because of his go and right. contest work on the inside, and Sharp may be of more use to West Coast because of his run and carry. Mm. And so that's um, not a bad call. See how they go. We'll take a break, and we'll be back to close up the show after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. We're coming into the home run, the end of the show, and we're going to get through a few more of your texts before we sign off. Heater is with me in the studio. This one might be a tad facetious. Uh, Duff, great show, mate. Brownie said on a podcast that the Eagles AFL wouldn't beat the best waffle team right now. Your thoughts? So when West Coast had 12 or 13 AFL-listed players, mainly kids running around in their waffle team in the preseason, they won all three of their games. So the answer to that, Roy, is no. <laughs> uh, big bro from Bar. He says West Coast Eagles will look at an inside midfielder like uh, Lockie Sullivan in the mid-season draft. Then five more kids at end-of-year draft to add to the 12 they already have. Yeah, I reckon that's a really good call. They have to go to the draft. That's been their DNA over time. They haven't traded their way back to the top. They've gone to the draft. They've taken their picks, um, and it's worked for them. If you look at their record of bouncing back quickly, I just worry. I see a bigger hole in their list this time around than I have seen previously, and I see more quality going off the deep end because of old age or injury, and that's going to be big holes to fill. So I think it'll take longer. I think they'll get there. Um, but I think it will take longer than it has in the past. And David Albany is saying, I've seen my club, West Coast Eagle, hold four flags. Those are what we play for. Four flags from seven grand finals. The next is a rebuild. It's the modern equalisation. Yeah, and all, all those points are really valid points and they're really valid views. But again, I reiterate what I just said. I see a bigger hole in their list. And I think if they had their time again, I'm not sure Nick Natanui would be getting a two-year deal. Mm. We're told that Jeremy McGovern's two-year contract extension is done, even though there hasn't been a big song and dance about it made yet. Mm. I think that if they had, like, I think that was done just prior to him tearing the hamstring off the bone in the round three derby. So you've got Natanui doubtful, McGovern, doubtful. Hearn, retire at the end of the year. Shuey, possibly retire at the end of the year. Maybe even probably retire at the end of the year. Elliot Yo is now into the fourth season where he's been injury affected, struggling to get back out there. Is he going to be okay? That's five top enders, plus Jamie Cripps is going to be 31 coming off a broken ankle. That's six very good players. This is a big hole yep. in the top end of the list. And this comes on top of Josh Kennedy's retirement Last year, and don't forget, you've got Andrew Gaff, who's going to be rising 30-31. You've got Jack Darling, who's going to be rising 30-31. Again, this is a lot of top-end talent they're going to be losing. So will they have 
kids to fill the holes, they probably will, but there's a time lag and there are a lot of holes to fill. Doesn't just happen. And uh, quickly tonight at the AFL Tribunal, everyone's taken their medicine. So Matty Johnson from Fremantle, Xavier O'Halloran from the Giants, uh, Sam, uh, Samo Petrovsky seaton from the Eagles, Tom Mitchell from Collingwood and Sammy Durham from Essendon have all accepted their sanctions. So nothing to hear at tonight's Tribunal. Yep, and players and clubs starting to get their head around how the AFL is going to view dangerous tackles and probably <laughs> just realising that there's not much point fighting the charge. Mm. Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Great show today with Andrew Dillon on, of course, from the AFL. We'll be back with another Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA tomorrow. Thank you, Hita. Thank you.